0: but we have to stay vigilant. We have to keep getting better at password management. We have to protect our kids. We have to make sure that the information that they use to register their games isn't too much, that we know who they're chatting with. We need to know about identity theft. We need to know about patching. You have video cameras and thermostats and TVs that are all internet connected devices and they need to be patched because if a vulnerability is discovered on them and you don't patch them, You might be inviting somebody into your network. It's a good practice to have a separate network for these devices and another network for guests and another network that you do yourself. But that's a lot of networking. It's a lot of wireless to configure. And so we are getting more mature. I don't have a doom and gloom outlook. I think we're getting better, but it's been painful and it's a long ongoing pain. And I just want to keep educating people on it.
1: Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. I'm thrilled to have back with me today, Patrick Hines. Patrick is, well, he's got a very interesting background, got a podcast that we talked about in another podcast. But today we're going to focus on his business, also security and some cybersecurity issues that at least I see in today's world. So Patrick, first of all, welcome back and thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. Oh,
0: thanks for having me, Tom. It's great. Could you remind our audience of your professional background and your current role? Sure. I attended Military Academy at West Point, graduated in 88, served as an infantry officer, fought in the first Gulf War, got out into the reserves, made it to captain, and while I was in the reserves, I was in technology. I had been a programmer from high school days. And the army and my military experience forced me to look at security in all things and so in 94 I started a company and 96 I actually incorporated the company. Today that company would be known by Pulsar Security and I'm the CEO.
1: And what's the business of Pulsar Security?
0: So organizations, large organizations especially billion dollar companies, governments have traditionally known that you have to attack yourself to know what's real and what's not what's fantasy. Oh, this will stop them versus what would really stop somebody who knows what they're doing is trying to break in. Physical security has had this kind of ethic and way of thinking for decades. We've always thought about in order to test a door, you actually test the door. You get somebody who can try to break in. If you want to test a safe, you get a safe cracker. But now it's starting to become more mainstream as even smaller companies and smaller organizations, even individuals are starting to get attacked. So for these large organizations, we provide what's called penetration testing or red team services. We'll tack them on a regular basis, sometimes on a continuous basis to see where their vulnerabilities are, because you can't see your own vulnerabilities most of the time. You don't proofread your own papers normally because you won't see your errors because they're yours. Same thing is true with technology configuration and assumptions and things like that. So we're basically hackers for hire, a red team and we enjoy doing it. It's very much a fun job to have.
1: So in the compliance world, we might call that a risk assessment where you actually go and assess the risk, but that's only step one or at least a step. From the step of risk assessment, then you have to figure out what I would call a risk management strategy. In your world, do you help companies then figure out a cyber shield or some other strategy to protect them from the
0: vulnerabilities you're able to ascertain? We do. We're fairly agnostic. Some companies want us to just come in and let them know what they need to fix and we'll point them in the right direction if they have a managed service provider or an IT staff that can do these things and take the feedback, which is very often the case. But what we're finding is that the smaller the organization, especially, you know, under 10, $20 million a year, which is still a big organization by most people's reckoning, they don't have a dedicated IT staff. They might have a managed solution provider who may or may not be in over their head. And so we're happy to just tell them what they need to do and give them the feedback of password management, patching. I mean, these are things that are in every single report we ever write, plus a lot of other things. Or we're willing to like work with them. We've developed a product that you've mentioned called CyberShield that is geared to help smaller organizations actually do this at an affordable level. What we found is, I have a military background, as you've heard. I think the cyber war is on. When somebody looks back 50 years, they're going to say, oh yeah, that was the cyber war. And the Western organizations, Western companies are the ones that are getting victimized. They don't have the budget or even the know-how in-house to do what they should be doing. And in many cases, it's not that hard. And there's also a shortage in my industry. There's about half a million to 750,000 too few cyber engineers for the demand today. And that's just going to keep increasing. I think the number's 3 million worldwide. So we're trying to figure out how we can help. We've done it in the past by doing pro bono work. We'll help a small company. We won't charge them, but we have very highly expensive resources. And so over the last couple of years, what we've come up with is a model where we can automate the things that are automatable, but, but make sure it's a real person who's really qualified for the things that can't be. So include things like a quarterly check-in to talk about the results of the automated tests and the information gathering and things like that. Find out whether a company's really got to start from first principles or they have a good take on it and they just need to improve in one or two areas because security is a journey and compliance is a journey and risks is something that we're going to face forever. There's no done mission accomplished. And so it's really how secure are you? What kind of attacks can you withstand and which ones you can't?
1: Let me focus on your thoughts around cyber war. I have a colleague described that as non-kinetic permanent warfare. And you've, as you said, with the military academy served in the first Gulf War. But now we're in a war that literally people like myself could be a part of. Yeah. How do you help a board of directors understand that our adversaries, whether it be Russia, whether it be China, whether it be other state actors, are in this permanent, I'm going to call it a permanent
0: cyber war? So if they just take a look at the news, I could pull up a dozen or more articles over the course of the last 10 years to show that we're the frog in the water. The water's starting to boil and we're not noticing it. So it used to be unthinkable that a hospital would be attacked or somebody would die as a result of a cyber attack, but those things have happened. The colonial pipeline attack, the attacks on food service companies, there's definitely been attacks that are attributable to government supported, protected, or financed organizations. And so there's no guessing here. We know that the countries, if you wanted to name the ones that are probably most active, it's Russia, China. North Korea and Iran against us. And I assume we and England and Israel and France and Australia are the ones most active on the other side. But you hear the news about those protagonists because when you have a dictatorship, there's no reason to hold on to things for later. Posterity doesn't matter. You want to ensure that you're in power. You want the win on your watch. And so what we've seen over and over again is weapons and techniques that we would certainly keep secret and keep to ourselves. We've seen the NSA a couple of times get caught with their hand, not in the cookie jar, but with a bundle of really devastating attacks that they never shared and they got leaked. Well, that shows that's their process, their process to accumulate those weapons and curate them for when they need them. Whereas on the other side of the battle, they're using them all the time to show us, to stick our nose in it. Well, that's a strategic mistake on their part, but it's still dangerous for us. It's a strategic mistake because you don't use your best weapons until the war breaks out because you don't want the enemy to adapt. But they're already doing things like ransomware and evolving ransomware. There's just many techniques they're throwing out there. And they're starting to, about probably more than 10 years ago, we started seeing countries like Russia allowing hackers like the Conti Group, a ransomware gang, operate within their borders as long as they didn't attack Russian systems. As long as they didn't attack Russian systems, they were fine. And we saw in the code of some of these that if the person had a Cyrillic alphabet on their keyboard, it didn't go off. It, it didn't neutralize itself. So this is actively working together. And in this way, they can get everyone in the world who they don't like attacked and weakened, and they can protect themselves. Well, that's kind of backfiring now because what we're finding is Western companies, as bad as it is, are much better at this than. Russian and Chinese companies at protecting themselves. Why? Because they haven't been getting attacked and we have that, which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. So that's the good news. You and I talking about this is the good news because we've been forced to adapt to it and to be better at it. I don't believe there's any qualified hacker in the employer, in the reach of any of those powers that I talked about, China, Russia, North Korea, or Iran that's waiting for orders. They're out sowing chaos, getting everything they can because over time they've been a little more aggressive, a little more aggressive, a little more aggressive, and they've never been beaten down by their hosts. So I think that we are in the middle of it. I think we do need to do everything we can to protect against it. I think that it's just a matter of time for the smallest of organizations and even individuals to get nailed. But what we miss is that a lot of the things that would get us destroyed today are now no longer problems because vendors have gotten wise. We have news articles every day telling us of vendors that didn't get wise, but there's hundreds of thousands of others that have gotten it right. And we've got new practices. You probably have two factor authentication on your bank account. That wasn't a thing five years ago. No one had that. Well, that's a really strong protection and it's good at stopping not only the syndicate of criminals that want your money, but also the Chinese government that wants Information because your client is the military. We are getting better. I'm not here to spread the sky is falling fear, but we have to stay vigilant. We have to keep getting better at password management. We have to protect our kids. We have to make sure that the information that they use to register their games isn't too much, that we know who they're chatting with. We need to know about identity theft. We need to know about patching. You have video cameras and thermostats and TVs that are all Internet connected devices, and they need to be patched because if a vulnerability is discovered on them and you don't patch them, you might be inviting somebody into your network. It's a good practice to have a separate network for these devices and another network for guests and another network that you do yourself. But that's a lot of networking, it's a lot of wireless to configure. And so we are getting more mature. I don't have a doom and gloom outlook. I think we're getting better, but it's been painful and it's a long ongoing pain. And I just want to keep educating people on it.
1: You and I are in the private sector. What do you see as the role of the government in this process? Is it guidance? Is it setting regulations?
0: Is it enforcing laws? How do you see the government's role in this cyber war? That's an excellent question. So, you know, I keep picking on Russia and China. I probably should never go there again. But, But in Russia and China, there really is no choice. Private and enterprise, if the government wants in your network, they're in your network. We have the freedom of choice. And most of the people I know would rather run their own networks badly than have the government in their network. It's just the American way. And so because of that ethos mentality or just the way things have developed, the government for a while was just hands off, just stay out of the way and guard government and state systems. And that's it, but that's no longer tenable. And now we have CISA and they are very good at keeping us abreast of the problems that are happening. They have free resources that are available. We have NIST, who's been around for a lot longer, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. They're recommending technologies such as quantum resistant encryption and things that we should do. So I think your indication that should they be in the advising and providing resources, that's where we've settled into. And so therefore, because of the internet, you can get anything you want. Problem most business owners have is it's a matter of allocating time. If you allocated a half an hour a week to getting smart on cybersecurity and then doing something about it. In that half hour, you'd probably find out about password managers and you'd adopt one. You'd probably find out about how important inventory is and you'd do it. You'd probably find out how important patching is and you'd do it. And so these are all free things. You can get a lot of security just by doing free things. You don't need me. You need me when it's done and you think, okay, I'm ready for the bad guys to come. So I can tell you work a little harder, but we need that kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps mentality.
1: So in terms of some of the things that I've heard you talk about in this podcast, many of them, I don't want to say they're basics, but they really are basic. You mentioned two-factor authentication, but phishing attacks or password management, are those things that are still worth communicating to employees and reminding employees the
0: basic hygiene may be the most important? Yes. Yes. When we do presentations, we do a lot of webinars and presentations and things, and we've developed the thing called the pyramid of threats. I don't know if I mentioned it to you last time we talked, but the pyramid of threats is meant to try to help people envision what the risks are, who's coming after you. And if you looked at your logs on your servers, on your firewalls, at your home, on your Comcast or Xfinity or whoever your internet provider is, you'd probably find thousands of attacks against your... System a day. I would be shocked if it was less than thousands. And your question is, well, why are they coming after me, and what's going on? Well, the explanation for that is that the bottom layer of that pyramid of threats is about a hundred million plus script kiddies. We call them script kiddies because very often they're kids, you know, teenagers. They found a script on the internet. They probably got infected when they found it and had problems. But they got a script that's usable to exploit a remote system using something that was patched a year ago, eight months ago, five years ago. And all they're doing is trying it against every system on the internet, every single system. And there's ways to do that every day. You, every day you could run through every system on the internet. And if they get 0.001%, they're going to get a lot of systems and they'll be able to say, I'm a hacker and they'll be able to maybe install a crypto miner, or they'll be able to, you know, read your files or who knows what, or they'll be able to steal your data and sell it on the dark web. So that's an army. That's an enormous army. And maybe 100 million is a low number. Maybe it's bigger than that. But that's the chatter. That's where a lot of the noise comes in. And then there's people who have an actual grudge against you who are techies. There's probably a lot of them, tens of millions, but they're focused on a specific target, a jilted lover or an employer they didn't like. They're not as likely to be, but they're still dangerous, more dangerous than the script kiddies. But the next level above them is the syndicates, the criminal syndicates who are in it just for the money. And they're the ones doing the excellent spear phishing. They're the ones doing the excellent attacks and they do the same things as the script kiddies. They take a script, they run it. And if there's 50,000 systems that are vulnerable to that because they didn't patch, they're going to go after them and try to get in those organizations and ransomware them or do identity theft or do Bitcoin mining or do something. And so it's kind of straight economics at that level. And they're the most dangerous because they're the most likely to hit everyone eventually. And they're the most sophisticated by far up to that level.
1: I have to put in a shameless plug for your podcast,
0: your two podcasts. Tell
1: us about the one dealing with cybersecurity issues.
0: So I have two co-hosts, Dwayne LaFlaught and Carl Franklin. All of us have programmer backgrounds. Dwayne and I are cybersecurity, and Carl is an upcoming cybersecurity. And we talk about, on a weekly basis, the articles that have crossed our desk in the world of cyber. And we talk about what people should think about those. So there's lots of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD we call it where the sky is falling and we'll take a look at an exploit and we'll tell you whether it's really a big deal or it's really not a big deal. So if you had a a recall on your car and it said parts will fall off your car and you find out it's the badge that is from the manufacturer, they've kind of overblown it. They're trying to get clickbait. If you find out that, you know, there's a minor chance of misconfiguration and you find out the brakes stop working, well, that's a much bigger deal. So we try to level set people's understanding of these no stories, what they should worry about and what they should do. So when we hear about a breach, we figure out how they did it, if we get enough information. And then if it's a password, somebody had a bad password, we'll talk to you about passwords and how you can have better passwords and what password managers are about. If it's because somebody didn't patch something, we'll talk about patching. And you're right. It's the basics that catch most people. If everyone did the basics, the game would get significantly harder but there's just so much care and feeding that has to be done. It's kind of like keeping your home warm in the winter. You've got to pay attention all the time to the screens, doors and the windows and swapping out things to keep up with it. You wouldn't just get your house warm once and then forget about it because over the course of the year, people are going to open things up and you're going to do some construction and cracks are going to open up and stuff like that. So you get the point. It's a maintenance thing. We have to maintain our security posture.
1: Patrick, I'm going to ask you to maybe look down the road to 2025 or even 2030. And do you see just an
0: intensification of this cyber war, or are we perhaps going a different direction? This is going to either be my vindication or I, it's going to haunt me because I'm going to make <laughs> predictions here I shouldn't make. So Russia is experiencing a major collapse no matter what happens going forward. So their military, we're starting to see, and I'm going to get there in a second, we're seeing Uh, cancellation of military orders for their tanks because their tanks have done so well at burning. We've seen the fact that we thought they were 10 feet tall, and now we're seeing that their hacking skills aren't what we thought. By now, we should all be using candles to warm ourselves, and if the hype about Russia's hacking ability was true, the West would be shut off. They would have just taken us out, but that didn't turn out to be the case. In fact, the Ukrainians seem to be a match for the Russians in many ways in the cyber arena. So with their falling off that map, unless they come back as a hermit nation that protects people who a uh, hackers' paradise, if you will, which I think is unlikely. I think they're more likely to have to come back to the world and join our institutions, which would make it no longer a safe haven. So it this kind of breaks based on whether Russia's a safe haven for hackers or it's no longer a safe haven for hackers. If it's no longer a safe haven, then I think there's still going to be lots of bad actors, lots of people who are going to play, but I think it'll shift to different countries. I think we'll see it in countries that are not as malign towards the West, but are more about they have theirs, we want ours. And maybe they're more laissez-faire about it. But I don't think they'll be as sophisticated. I don't think it'll be as as bad, but it will keep getting more sophisticated. The last iPhone hack that went up for sale that I saw. So if you got an iPhone Exploit for sale. It's $2 million, I think, right now. They used to be a hundred thousand dollars, but now they're so rare, so hard to find that last one I saw that went up on the market was two million. But that wasn't one thing. It was seven different vulnerabilities chained together to accomplish something. If one of those vulnerabilities had been fixed, if one of those configurations was not out of whack, it wouldn't work. And so we are seeing things getting more and more sophisticated. And this is where people start talking about AI. Do we need AI to defend? Because they're going to use AI to, to attack. Do we need better dashboards? Do you need better visibility? Do you need constant pressure on your network to make sure that the hackers can't get in because they could hit every system on the world every day? So I think with Russia coming off the board, that's the bright spot. That's the good news. It still leaves China and the PLA to adopt the model of doing things to disrupt us financially, but they're not as overt about it. They're more strategic in my experience. They're more likely to hit things like there was a hack of Marriott of five years ago and, uh, I think a billion hotel records were stolen. And the weird thing is they never showed up on the dark web. And normally when a breach happens, eventually the data ends up on the dark web, because that's the last place the hackers can monetize it first. They monetize it by using it themselves. They harvest what they can. They use that data while it's fresh. They target people. They do fishing from it. And then eventually the data is not worth that much. So they sell it on the dark web for short money. It never showed up for sale, which has kind of fed some suspicions that it was done by the government of China so that they could help find foreign agents and where they're staying and how they're traveling. They're more in it for the spy craft thing, whereas the Russians were trying to just disrupt and hurt us as opposed to accomplish a specific goal. Most of the ransomware gangs were out of Russia, not out of China. Doesn't mean they won't use it. Doesn't mean China doesn't use ransomware and things like that, but it's more of a cat and mouse game. So I do think it'll get more sophisticated. Unfortunately, I don't think people can forget about cybersecurity. That's never going to happen. It's kind of like not thinking about a media campaign. Companies don't have that luxury because the cat's out of the bag.
1: Patrick, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on Pulsar, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go?
0: Go on to PulsarSecurity.com, go to the podcast, drop us a message, and we're out there. Most of the time we do blog articles and webinars, and we're trying to point people at the right resources. And we're based in New Hampshire, southern New Hampshire, just north of Boston. So if they want to come by, they're welcome to. So I'm going to shout out to the website
1: because they have a great set of free resources that they make available, but you really need to check out the podcast. It is a ton of fun. These guys obviously know what they're talking about, but they love talking about it and great chemistry. So security this week, we're going to put that in the show notes as well. Patrick, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me again. I hope we can
0: continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom.
1: If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently,
0: subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.